and welcome back everybody to the M&A Monthly Podcast. Uh, it's Lewis Williams here and I'm now being joined by our new permanent co-host, Co Beden. Hello, Co. Hi, Lewis. Pleasure well, to be here as always. As always, as always. So, um, it's been a busy month, everybody, uh, in the M&A world and we're going to change the um, structure of the episode slightly. It's going to be one part from now on and uh, we're going to approach it where we have a monthly roundup at the start before going into uh, one deal each that has particularly interested us. Um, so we'll start off with the monthly roundup. All right, so we're starting the monthly round off with a, a quick update from one of the uh, stories we did last week, the one I covered, yeah. which was the uh, Thermo Fisher and Kaijin merger. So last week we talked about the reasons why it could fail, and one of them being that the shareholders weren't too happy and some of the major shareholders were saying they weren't going to give up their shares. And this in fact did actually happen. I think uh, 47% of investors in Kaijin had tendered their, tendered their shares, which falls short of the 66% that's needed, which is two thirds. Right. So essentially, not enough people wanted to give up their shares to Thermo Fisher. So the deal couldn't go through. It was over evaluation, wasn't it? There yeah. was um, a difference in opinion in terms of um, the deal price agreed and the valuation. Because mm. obviously um, Kaizen is very linked towards coronavirus and they've seen a boom in demand. Yeah. Said. So and the shareholders felt like their shares were worth more and didn't want to give them up. Yeah. Um, and that actually leads on nicely um, because in terms of the M&A space, the biggest deals that we've seen this month have all been in the pharma sector, um, which has been a top performer in terms of people who are looking to invest in stocks and shares at the moment. So um, just to round up quickly, we've had Aviva to, uh, who bought OSI Soft uh, for five billion, who are a pharma technology company, um, which essentially increases Aviva's stake in uh, technology moving forward. So that was almost like an assets under management play um, trying to move into that sector uh, we have Blackstone uh, who took over Takeda um, their counter pharmacy part so Takeda is like one of the top Japanese uh, pharmaceutical companies so um, a bit like Lloyd's Pharmacy over here in the UK they essentially oh, okay. um, bought out their um, over-the-counter pharmacy operations for 2.3 billion then moving over to Johnson & Johnson, who are a household name. Uh, they bought the biotech company Momenta for $6.5 billion, which is another mega deal. Um, and this is, again, just uh, a sign of the rapid growth in the industry as of late as a result of the uh, coronavirus. Mm, there's so much money being invested into it at the moment, so it's... Very interesting sector. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, obviously, Google's had a lot of interest at the moment and a lot of movement there. Yeah, so uh, Google recently have decided to part ways and divest out of Nest, which was one of their companies they had acquired a few years back. Right. And they've um, sold off their product line to ADT, so which is actually a Google partner company. Right, okay. And that was $750 million. But now the interesting thing is, as we all probably know, there's been a recent uh, Spotify deal. Yeah. Everyone's been given a free Google Nest. And it looks like one of those dodgy lad Bible stories, but you can quite literally get a free Google Nest. And again, it sort of raises the point of where the conspiracy theorists come out about how much are they listening to. But I mean, it's free tech at the end of the day. So um, while the opportunity is there, I say go for it. I do think in reality, it's more they've got a ton of stock of left Google over. Guests. Yeah, trying to. It's, like these kind of like it's a promo. The new brand. Yeah, yeah. It's getting out. 
Yeah, interesting nonetheless. Um, KKR, one of the biggest uh, private equity firms, sold off their software group Epicor to another private equity company, CDNR, uh, for 1.7 billion profit. Um, I think the overall was about, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 3.7. And that was after only uh, four years uh, of actually since they purchased the group. So a nice, tidy profit for the private equity company. And then the last one of the day is uh, Nestle have purchased a biopharmaceutical company for 2.6 billion, and it's just like trying to uh, tighten their grip on food allergy prevention. Yeah. And like. Um, innovate even into into the sector yeah so again a massive massive month for um pharmaceutical companies all over the world um and it's sort of many different sectors because it is so big so um that was sort of the monthly roundup but now we're going to be moving on into my favorite deal of the month which was blackstone acquiring ancestry group for 4.7 billion (laughs) dollars The first deal we're going to be discussing in length today is uh, Blackstone's acquisition of Ancestry.com. Uh, the deal cost $4.7 billion and it gives uh, Blackstone 75% ownership of the company. Um, just in terms of deal facts, um, Ancestry, those who don't know, is a company which allows people to delve into their heritage. It's now not so um, uh, single that you can just look at your family tree it's also now looking at the health side which seems to be um, the more growing element Um, the term genomics is uh, now widely used which is essentially looking at um, people's uh, genetics and their family trees and essentially being able to uh, look at what conditions they may develop later in life um, such as uh, cancer risk uh, blood work heart health uh, carrier risk for disease which is obviously extremely topical right now Um, And it's essentially hoping that in the future that we'll be able to predict people's health conditions and what they might um, potentially be at risk at getting in future years before they actually have that disease. So it's uh, essentially looking to um, predict and preempt any future problems in terms of people's health, which a lot of people, according to uh, Blackstone's um, senior leadership team, believe is going to be, you know, an increasing, um, of increasing importance to many people. Definitely, I definitely think that sounds like the more valuable side of the business as well, the bit that they're going to be interested in buying. Yeah, I mean, originally the the family tree element has now been copied and, uh, you know, you've got people like MyHeritage and 20 23andMe, that's sort of a concept that can be easily copied. There's a limited USP. The only USP is that they have the biggest database. Um, And actually what they found is that there was a nice synergy in being able to um, transfer that database across, which has actually enabled them uh, to become the leader in terms of the genomic sector as well, um, because that same information can be used because it gives them like the wealth of knowing uh, family trees and that kind of thing and tracing back hereditary uh, you know family history in terms of the way that people have uh, passed or um, potential health uh, problems within families themselves so um, that is why essentially uh, Blackstone have purchased Ancestry.com because it's going to be a growing company in years to come they hope it's interesting I think if you give a history of the two and that really are 
Yeah, no worries. Okay, so uh, in terms of Ancestry, they were founded in 1996. They were the first mover in the um, family tree website idea, um, sort of industry, as it were, um, the market. Um, they now have a female CEO called um, Margot Georgiadis, who Greek name, obviously. And may I just say, she has one of the best... CVs you can write. She is honestly an A-star CEO by the looks of it. Harvard educated, McKinsey and Google performer, um, previously the CEO of Mattel, the toys, one of the world's biggest toys producers, and is now CEO of Ancestry. So in terms of we're looking at intrinsic value from a management perspective, Ancestry have got a really top CEO um, who is now poised to help them grow and develop as a company. They first launched uh, the DNA uh, element of their business, Ancestry DNA, um, in 2012, and they now have 18 million people in their database, which actually uh, makes them the have the, it makes them uh, the biggest. Uh, they have the biggest database, is what I'm trying to say, um, and that's enabled them to essentially gather a lot of uh, intrinsic value within their business and which is why why we see the valuation for the company six times over a bit uh, because there's you know they are the market leader and they have a significant advantage over other companies that are now trying to move into that sector i would say it's a very interesting like business model as well the way it's set up yeah so people are paying them to have their dna tested but at the same time it's kind of adding value to their company as well by creating this massive database Absolutely. Um, and in terms of competitors, they only have a couple. You know, we're looking at MyHeritage and 23andMe. And the reason for that is because, you know, there's such a high barrier to entry because they have that enormous a database which would take many years and, uh, you know, a lot of um, years of trying to build a customer base to essentially challenge that. And now that they've built that, they become an extremely valuable uh, company. Um Anything more to add? I don't know. Um, 23andMe, who's their biggest competitor, they recently were um, uh, funded and sort of joined as partner with uh, with GSK, who's one of the biggest uh, pharmaceutical companies in the world. So it shows, again, that there is a lot of interest within the industry itself. Um, and, yeah, there's it's, it's a growing company. Um, moving over to um, the acquirer, Blackstone, uh, many of you will already know the company uh, in terms of they are the biggest private equity firm in the world. Founded in 1985 by Stephen Schwartzman and Peterson. Um, Schwartzman, who's a, a Wall Street legend now, um, and many of you may also know his son, Teddy. Uh, Teddy Schwartzman, who actually is a massive film producer and produced the film The Intimidation Game, which had uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Alan Turing, which was um, a great film. A great film. A great film. Uh, revenues of 7.4 billion last year uh, and an annual income of 1.471 billion also so they are they are the biggest um, private equity firm in the world just to reiterate that point some huge companies under their management include uh, Hilton uh, hotels United Biscuits and many others um, and they also just in terms of the theoretical side of it they they always try and um, 
get in early and get in quickly on growing companies. So um, a great example of that would be Oatly, the milk company, mm. um, which is uh, a plant-based drink, um, which is an alternative for milk, which is obviously capitalizing on the fact that, that we have a growing uh, number of those who are lactose intolerant. Uh, and that company is you know, growing from strength to strength. So um, that is why we believe that um, Blackstone is now taking an interest in uh, the website Ancestry.com. It's definitely a risky. It's a risky way to go about things, but it definitely pays off for them, obviously. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the thing with Blackstone as well is that it's seen as the pinnacle company for a lot of people who work in the finance sector. So, in terms of the quality of um, management at Blackstone itself, um, they obviously they know a thing or two about buying good companies, um, which is attributable to their large profits and returns every year. Yeah, it does help them when you've got that pool of workers that you can draw from. You're getting the best of the best. Absolutely. Obviously, they know what they're doing. Absolutely. So in terms of the product itself, um, the genomic side of it is really interesting. That was the element that I tried to research more into because at first you're looking at uh, what is genomics. Um, genomics is essentially looking at the the family history of um, certain people and those who apply and purchase the service. It essentially allows them to understand previous uh, family uh, health problems, hereditary health issues, and it gives them the opportunity to then proactively think about ways in which they can reduce potential um, life-threatening health issues later down the line. And if we were looking at it from like a macro perspective, you know, currently the way that we approach um, healthcare is very reactionary. We're looking at solving problems and symptoms when we get them. But instead, what a lot of professors over in America are saying, um, I mean, there's countless here listed on this sheet, but, um, you know, the way that we're looking at it is that one day we'll be able to um, preempt a lot of health problems through having this information and we'll have a more conscious and a more aware society that we can preempt these issues and essentially then have a a much longer lasting um, life expectancy. Do you think it'll be the future? I think so. I mean, the more that I've read about it, it definitely seems that there's going to be it's going to be a long time before we can see it introduced. And there's also some social uh, factors which which will draw back, um, which I'll go on to. But in terms of a, an idea, as it were, you know, to preempt and be proactive about things is a lot better than being uh, reactive, uh, essentially. And it, it, in theory, in my thinking, it would enable us to potentially live longer in the future, which is, I think, what Blackstone are going for as well. I do think as well, especially with us for our NHS, it'll be a lot cheaper as well to yeah. predict what's going to happen rather than having to spend all the money to react. Absolutely. And I mean, I mean, now with the way we, we're seeing uh, cancer uh, and the way that that links uh, to obesity and problems like that, it costs the country billions every year. And you don't need to you know, know the statistics to know that that is a massive issue within today's society. Um, there's been a large uproar as of late because of it. And you, you hear adverts at the moment about getting fit and healthy. So it's obviously still a massive issue for governments. And I think that if we could be more proactive in our thinking, and I think we are becoming, uh, as a generation, um, ourselves, we are a lot more health aware and a lot more um, conscious about what we eat and the way that we exercise, etc. Potentially, yeah, I think they're capitalizing on a good opportunity. However, there is still a large disconnect between the way that we use geometry 
genomic information and biomedical research. Um, apparently, there's still a lot of teething problems in terms of the way that we're able to uh, like clinically uh, analyze a person's genetics and really delve into it. There's still issues in terms of um, actually understanding and being able to accurately uh, get a person's health and hereditary issues it's still uh, not quite there um, and it could be you know decades until we can fully get this technology um, right insofar as it's going to then actually be accurate and we won't be throwing people off I guess would you say there's a problem with um, privacy concerns as well with a private company holding this information yeah definitely and, that, and that's also been I mean it's a common theme now if you're looking at M&A deals there's a lot of uh, I mean just Google earlier. Um, we talked about it last last month. Last well. month as well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are extremely conscious about who knows what about them and the, the sort of personal information that's now being passed freely. And the fact that um, Blackstone, one of the, well, the biggest private equity firm in the world, obviously have a lot of fingers in a lot of pies, would know your private information um, would be concerning. Personally, I'm not particularly bothered if it's to the benefit of a lot of people I think it's for the best but I can completely understand why others would be nervous about that information being passed on and through being taken uh, advantage of in situations um, unknown I don't know but yeah definitely there, there is a big issue about um, private information but that has also been clarified by Blackstone they've said that um, all personal information that is gathered by uh, Ancestry.com is not going to be um, leaked or passed over to them. How much you believe that? Who knows? It's exactly what Google said with their merger, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And they have to. You know, they have to these days. So, um, yeah, they've cleared it up, but it's still, it's a social concern that we should definitely be aware of. So, if they're obviously not sharing the privacy, what kind of motivations would there be for uh, Blackstone to buy? Um, I mean, we've touched on it, but uh, again, it's the potential to be the market leader in the genomics area, to have the biggest database, has immense intrinsic value, and to be well positioned to take uh, the lead in terms of then moving towards a genomically focused healthcare system, which is what we'll likely see in the West because we are far more developed. Um, and yeah, I think that's sort of their, their main hope is that in the near distant future, because we're becoming more socially and, and conscious about our health, they'll be the key uh, driver in terms of um, selling that service and actually having that information to hand. Mm. And so for Ancestry.com, what, what would benefit them about the deal? I think in terms of the funding that they'd have under Blackstone, um, you know, they have such a, a wealth of um, funds that they can attribute to the company. They also have immense um, intrinsic value and, and wealth of management that they have people who know how to grow companies. And they're, you know, extremely knowledgeable and experienced about doing this. Uh, I have no qualms that then they could also, uh, you know, get further people on uh, onto their side. Um, Blackstone themselves have immense research capacities and their ability to... Um, gather statistics about um, certain areas is immense because they have such uh, a broad reach in terms of companies under their management you know they can really go for it in terms of uh, their their ability to research um, moving forward so if you were to look at it from Ancestry's perspective who would you want as your sort of uh, your ownership partner you definitely want Blackstone mm -hmm. and the thing is now because they now own 75% of the company 
they have a much larger share and they can actually be um, a bit more agile in the way that they approach projects. Before, the, um, the capitalization of the company was split amongst um, quite a few different uh, private equity firms. Now it's 75% um, Blackstone and, and there's a still another a, a, one other partner, I believe, um, uh, another private equity company, but it's mainly Blackstone. I guess that helps with decision making as well. If there's one big firm, definitely key decisions with the company can quite easily happen. Yeah, and they've they've because they were previously a smaller partner, and now they've uh, decided to increase that stake. So there's obviously um, a good cultural connection between the two, and there's already some good links, which enables sort of the um, partnership, as it were, to further develop moving forwards. Could you tell me a bit of the financial side of kind of both like both companies and. Yeah, no worries. Um, I think I'll focus primarily on Ancestry. Um, They actually have quite an interesting um, financial analysis because they are a subscription-based company, which essentially allows them to have an extremely steady forecast in terms of their income stream. Uh, Because of that, they actually go for quite a high debt-to-equity ratio. I guess they're also investing a lot in terms of their, uh, you know, their growing uh, company uh, in terms of the DNA market, so they're investing heavily into increasing that database. Like you said earlier, it was the, um, the high barriers to entry. The high it barriers. It a lot to yeah, keep Yeah, keep them up and also grow further. So they have quite a large um, debt margin, which a lot of uh, acquirers would be wary of, um, but, you know, it's underwritten by the consumer um, consistent income stream that they have um, because of these subscriptions. Uh, the acquisition price was six times EBITDA, which was due to the potential growth in the market, as we've discussed previously. Um, so again, um, you know, it's it's quite a lot, six times EBITDA, if we're looking at generally deals, but um, they're a company that they believe can grow. So, you know, that's the price that they've agreed. Exactly. And as the market in general, what's, what's that saying? So it's actually been quite an interesting case. Um, you know, we've spoken a lot about growth, but actually in the past year, uh, they had a fall in revenue of 1.2% and the DNA product uh, specifically um, actually fell 48%. So if we're looking at it, this could be a good time to either push the product and, you know, boost it um, and hopefully um, then actually have to see a growth in, in the revenue for that product specifically, the DNA one. Um, but again, overall, actually, a fall in revenue um, so interesting um, but obviously overall in the, they're believing that this is going to be a long term investment uh, most private equity deals are five to seven years before exiting the um, opportunity so they're, they're hoping that they can turn this around um, as of late uh, Ancestry actually had to let go of six percent of their workforce just to balance out that loss in, in revenue um, but again, it is a, it's a long-term market and um, many people um, think, I can't remember the official body, but they've um, predicted that the global DNA testing market is going to reach 10.02 uh, billion by 2022, which is by the end of next year. Um, and potentially that is actually a figure that could be seen to have increased by then because of um, the health pandemic this year, um, which has caused concern for many more. So interesting. Well, a lot more people coming aware of their own health and... Yeah, I wouldn't. I really wouldn't be surprised if that um, that the market size doesn't actually exceed that by 2022. 
Um, and one other remark which I saw on the comments section of um, the FT article that we originally I originally looked at was that um, the the fact that when one private equity firm sells to another, what does that show? You know, often when we have a look at these deals, um, the private equity firm they buy the company, they grow it, they add product lines, etc., add value, then they sell it on to another. But, you know, how many times can that keep on happening? Ancestry have gone through quite a lot of ownership uh, companies in the past couple of years. And, you know, the question was, how much more meat on is there on this bone? Um, you know, how much more value can be extracted and added to this company before they sort of bottom out? Um, but again, Blackstone believe that they are the person to do this in terms of adding that value. I guess like we said earlier, I think there's a lot of potential for it. But at the same time, there is potential for like that stuff not to work out. That to be like so far ahead in the future. Yeah. That in the short term, I don't. It might not be worth it. Yeah, it could be seen. Or we could well see that this asset doesn't mature as we'd hope it would in the next five to seven years, um, but could really flourish in let's say fifteen. So it's just you know how um, are, are Blackstone willing to take that risk? Clearly they are. But how long are they going to keep it under their management? Who knows? I guess they've got to try and add value in other aspects before the technology can eventually catch up with the ambitions yeah absolutely and it's um it's also because i'm not you know so scientifically inclined how close are we to that breakthrough in terms of getting the dna and the genomic side of it crystal um you know it could be because of uh, blackstone's influx of capital we could well see that that actually uh, is a lot sooner than predicted if if they make that breakthrough Potentially. It would be very exciting to see what happens in the future. Absolutely. Um, so we'll close out on that deal now before moving over to your deal, Co. Uh, yeah, today um, I'm going to be looking at Aviation Gin and Diageo, or what Diageo acquiring them to Aviation Gin. Very different, but nice. Yeah. Okay, let's go into it. <laughs> Uh, Diageo, a, a conglomerate of uh, beverages. Beverages. That's a nice al- one. Alcoholic beverages are planning a deal potentially worth $610 million trying to exp- expand the range of alcohols. They already have alcohols. Yeah. Alcohol brands. So it's very exciting. It's a very exciting deal. And obviously, the figurehead of aviation, um, Jin, is uh, Ryan Reynolds. The beautiful man. The beautiful man. So. Firstly, I'm just going to go through a little history of uh, Diageo. Perfect. It's quite interesting. Uh, it was formed in 1997 when Guinness, who we all know, and uh, Grand Metropolitan merged together to combine their resources and operational capacity. Um, this merger also led to the company becoming public and their IPO, but they started trading on the stock market that same year. Right. The merger was orchestrated by Anthony Greener and Philip Yee, who were executives at Guinness and um, George Ball who was an executive at Grand Metropolitan. So obviously Guinness being uh, the Irish the Irish beer. I'm yeah. not a fan myself. No, me neither. But it's quite interesting how long ago that was. Yeah, and then since then they've gone on to become like the biggest in the, the alcohol market, right? Yeah, they're massive. Their, their tactic of rapid expansion into other brands. 
So they've acquired most brands, and especially spirits. They started off with Guinness, obviously, but yeah. they've really centered in on uh, the spirits market. I guess from the margins perspective, I'd imagine. Yeah. I guess a small amount of um, a small amount of liquids. Yeah, a lot more, more margin. Because if you think the average price of you know a, a, a bottle of Smirnoff compared to you know a crate of beer is, I'd imagine the margins are much better. Yeah. Um. So some of their brands include Gordon's, so the Gordon's Gin. Yeah. Bailey's, Smirnoff. Don Julio and Bell's Whiskey. All household names. Yeah, all, all very massive. You go into a pub and you would definitely see. Yeah, almost certainly. So, in fact, they, however, it was a fact, they used to own, they used to own Burger King. Wow. In their inception in 2002. However, since then, they sold it off. And they're, they're specialising especially into the uh, spirits, like I said. Okay, they don't own any other, you know, um, companies that are sort of outside their niche of alcohol? No, it's, it's, it's all alcoholic drinks now. All alcoholic drinks, okay. Burger King being massive, it kind of allowed them to expand into a wide range. Perfect. So they were the world's largest distiller before being overtaken by a Chinese company in 2017. Seems like a pretty, uh, it's like a common trend now. Yeah. And if you go to a bar anywhere in the world, you're probably likely to see yeah. most of the drinks are owned by Diageo. Unknowingly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then Aviation Gin. Um, obviously, uh, Ryan Reynolds, the absolute legend. So, yeah, American Aviation Gin, also known as Aviation Gin, is um, a brand of gin first produced in Portland, Oregon, by its founder, Christian Kronstadt and Ryan Majerian in 2006. It is produced by a House Spirits Distillery, and it's uh, seven flavourings. So you use uh, juniper, lavender, so yeah, and all, all that kind of thing. I'm not yeah, really no, it's fine. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, um, but now it's distributed nationwide, and especially the United States, it's massive over there. Right. It seems but, like a very American name, doesn't it? Yeah, it's American aviation. Yeah, M- America. America. <laughs> It's also in 15 other countries, however, so... Okay. But it's much, like, smaller, I'm guessing. In Canada, it's a little bit bigger, but it's also in Spain, UK, Ireland, France, and other countries as well. Yeah. However, in um, 2018 is when it had its real growth, when Ryan Reynolds bought a stake in the company and agreed to be the face of it going forward. And to this day, he still promotes the gin on featured advertisements, and uh, he also tweets about it and talking in interviews. Like, whenever I go on Twitter, I actually follow him. And like half his Twitter about aviation gin. Interesting. I, I have seen I have seen an advert. I'll be honest, and it's actually interesting how often this tactic is deployed, where celebrities um, take a stake in an alcohol company uh, and, and a brand essentially, and then and build it off the back of their fame. Yeah, notably um, P Diddy and Ciroc. Yeah, we all know Ciroc. So kind of they use their fame to make it what's cool, make people want to buy it which kind of just boosts, like, the brand itself. Yeah, the placement in music videos and that kind of thing is Definitely, what helps yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Crystal Champagne, owned by Jay-Z. Yeah. For example, where it's kind of just celebrities using their fame. Yeah. Making the name a bit more reputable. Absolutely. Uh, and they're now all under Diageo's control, I yeah, believe. All, all the ones mentioned, are, apart from uh, Crystal. Right. So there's... Uh, Ryan Reynolds Aviation, obviously. Yeah. Um, J- um, P. Diddy's Rock. You have Hay Club by David Beckham. Yeah. And there's another one later we're going to talk about um, George Clooney's tequila brand as well. Tequila, okay, which kind cool. kind of paved the way for this merger, actually. Right, okay. Um, before that, we'll go into the sort of past couple of years. Um, for uh, We'll go aviation first. So, aviation gin. Um, we're going to start off with them. 
According to the brand, aviation is responsible for 30% of the gins, um, of the gin category growth in the US. So the whole, I think it's premium gin, they're responsible for 30% right. of the growth in the US. This can be attributed to their they had a 100% increase in sales volume over the past year, or before 2020. Impressive. Which is very impressive for a company operating in quite a slow growing market, the spirits market in general. Yeah. So it's very impressive that they've gained this market market share so rapidly. Absolutely. And I wonder what alcohol consumption is like in America, because I know for sure in the UK it's slowed um, mm. in the past few years um, as we become more conscious. Um, but yeah, interesting that it's growing so much and that it's a premium brand as well. And I think that would interest Diageo particularly. Yeah. In the past year, the gin um, sector in general had a 3% rise um, in 2019 over 2018. So just, right. In America, it's a very like small growing one. Yeah. But um, most of this growth was uh, the super premium gin category. So this is bottled costing $25 and upwards. Wow. Which aviation gin falls under. So their bottles are 27 so it's only just premium. Yeah. But... Um, it's not crazy expensive, but it's it's still premium. Yeah, it's still... It's more than I'd be paying for. Yeah. <laughs> Poor uni students are yeah. like us. But um, in general, the market's growing slower, right? But the the section that Aviation's in is actually doing really well. Okay. Um, so Aviation Gin is now available in many countries, um, and they've got further plans for international expansion on the horizon, according to them. Right. In the UK, um, specifically, the... The brand's only available in 270 Asda stores, which is quite a few. Quite a few. And 60 Waitrose outlets, and that's it. Okay, yeah, so they haven't, they haven't quite gone the full hog in the UK yet. Still waiting for other players like Tesco, Sainsbury's to hop on board, which is potentially something that Diageo could help with. Yeah, even um, even your local um, corner shops and stuff. Yeah, like co-ops, etc. Yeah, what you're waiting for them to get into that, and then yeah. so they probably hit the UK. So this is kind of like the next market they're looking to rapidly expand into. Yeah. Which is like especially a good idea because you know gin is massive here. Yeah, it's absolutely. absolutely yeah, yeah. So especially in the summertime, I think it's probably quite a seasonal thing, maybe, mm. gin and tonics in the summer. Definitely. Okay, um, let's move over to the acquirer side, Diageo. Diageo, they're a absolute giant in the industry in the last year. But however, in the last year, their share, their share price has dropped 28% which actually can be attributed to a drop in profits of around half. Interesting. Four billion to two billion in their recent annual report. Any particular reason why or? So I think the main reason for it is the COVID-19 outbreak with most businesses now seeing a decrease. Right, so they're not getting so many corporate clients, you know, Mm. pubs and clubs Mm. were closed for a long time. Very understandable. I mean, you actually say that, but the the main reason is actually their costs have increased. Oh, okay. It's actually very interesting. So their revenues have remained pretty stable, only dropping one billion, which sounds like a lot, but yeah. it's uh, down from twelve billion to eleven billion, which only an eight percent fall compared to a hundred percent drop in profit. Wow. Well, or fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, fifty percent drop, and um, yeah, they've also got another twelve percent profit margin, which is um, mostly to do with their um, diverse range of products. So having low risk, and they also allow for cost synergies between the businesses, so like development of green technologies, for example. Right. So between business to business, they can have the same technology and the same like um, prefer, like professional like, advice and stuff like that. It really right. allows that. So in terms of them, the cost rising, 
Mm-hmm. What, uh, was it? Is it sort of like a like the the actual product itself, like the alcohol, or was it? I I think it was more um, administration costs to do with the business. Right. So like um like work having to like lay off workers and like. Okay, so uh, they, I guess they had to close distilleries and things like that. Yeah, which actually like cost quite a lot. Okay, interesting. But in the last few years, before this, so if you take kind of that, the yeah, way, yeah, their incomes have actually been rising about fourteen percent annually from twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen. So, and in addition to this, they've also expanded their brands with Aviation Gin, but with others okay. as well. So, with horizontal integration, obviously, yeah, they acquire other alcohol manufacturers. So, in twenty nineteen, Diageo brought um, a stake in Seedlip which is a non-alcoholic spirits brand, which obviously they're becoming very popular at the moment. Absolutely. With people trying to move away from alcoholics. And yeah. Get a step ahead. And as well as Casamigos, which is the um, George Clooney brand I wanted to talk about. Right. This is a premium tequila brand owned by George Clooney. And this, this move probably helped them in acquiring Aviation Gin to, to merge to go through. Because as we said, in a similar way, George Clooney helped them grow. Like Ryan Reynolds has helped Aviation grow. Yeah. So it's, it's like a blueprint. Yeah, they bought, they bought George Clooney's for about 700 million. Yeah. And since then, it's been very successful, which Excellent. has made them go, you know what, we can... We can do it again. Exactly. So... Bro, um, I guess in terms of the deal, um, sort of the driving forces, the sort of the factors behind it, I know you've spoken then just about sort of previous deals that they've done, um, but is there anything um, different that um, could potentially um, be a driving force for this uh, for this deal to happen? Um, so the deal itself is actually quite self in an interesting way. Okay. Why Diageo would want to go about um, doing it. So they're buying the um, the group of alcohols good Davos brands right which majority is aviation gin um but it just includes like there's a tequila brand and then a uh, Japanese whiskey brand I think and it's an initial payment of 335 million which is a lot more than I the thing was um worth earlier right but for this they'll also pay out an additional 275 million dollars if the sales of the brand continue as they're going now okay that's but an interesting clause so this means at the moment they only have to pay 335 million um, for the brand itself, so it's actually very low risk. Yeah. Like, I think they're worth a bit more than that, but the premium they're paying to like split the costs is probably a bit more. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't realise that there are other um, brands under the, uh, the the group as well, you know, the, the other two. Mm-hmm. So um, it also seems likely that these, band, these brands, and especially Aviation Gin, will continue to grow as we talked about their expansion in the UK. As in the UK, the premium gin market actually grew thirty percent. Okay, interesting. Comparing that to the three percent mm. in so, America, yeah, it's very interesting. And as part of the deal as well, um, Ryan Reynolds, the face of the company, he still he still holds a stake in the business as part of this. Right. And he has agreed to continue to promote the brand that was the main driver for the success. So he's agreed to be the face of the, the brand for the next ten years. So it's almost like a silent takeover, really, yeah. um, in terms of a you know the consumer-facing um, company. You wouldn't really see much of a difference mm. potentially, um, but what we will see is the the wealth in management that Diageo will bring to the company in terms of pushing it on. Yeah, I'll say the um, especially looking at the past. It was key for Diageo to keep on Ryan Reynolds because that's like the main driver of the success. Yeah, he's closely linked to the brand now, so why why would you take him away? I guess. 
Yeah, so I'm, I think, I'm guessing he's going to do quite well out of it as well. Yeah. As a highlight monetary incentive for that. But overall, I don't think there's any reason why the deal like, shouldn't go through. Yeah. So both pa- both parties are very happy with it. Diageo have a strategy of acquiring brands that have a high growth, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, um, with your with your story, and it and in a statement by the CEO, he said, um, pretty much following up on this, the acquisition of American Aviation Gin and Davos Brands portfolio is in line with our strategy to acquire high growth brands with attractive margins that support uh, support pre minimization, um, <laughs> and we're looking forward to working with Ryan Reynolds and uh, their team. Yeah, for me it's super interesting that the premium gym brand had such growth in the UK in the past year, but the extent of how far is that going to grow? I'd be interesting to compare that to non-alcoholic um, alcohol, as it were. You know, like the zero percent alcohol alternatives, mm. and how much that is growing. Because I would have thought that would have been the market to go into. I'm sure they are, um, but I would have thought that would have been like the high growth um, area in terms of alcoholic. Um, drinks at the moment and the way that um, they would be approaching it but I, I guess premium is also a, a growing market as well yeah no, and they did pick up a um, non-alcoholic company in 2019 as well yeah so they're definitely trying to um, it's high it's high growth areas and they've obviously looked at aviation gin saying they, they've grown 100% in the last year yeah there's potential there I think as well in terms of Diageo they have such a good track record in terms of building premium brands Um, and with things like gin again it's a spirit good margins within that company can't see why it wouldn't be a success yeah so on aviation gin side um, the move definitely a good thing for a few reasons so the first one being They'll obviously have like, way more capital yeah. that Diageo can offer for the expansion. So they can expand the marketing budget, the production. They can really like increase their sales revenue next year. Yeah. Uh, in addition to this, they'll also be able to expand around the world uh, way more effectively as Diageo have many brands worldwide. So they have expertise in these areas and they have the resources to be able to successfully expand. Supplier links, etc. Exactly, yeah. And they've done it countless times before. Yeah. They can really easily like put it worldwide. Yeah. So on the production side as well, aviation gin can also benefit from cost synergies like producing in factories. I would have trans. thought that would have been a real benefit also. Yeah. So that the Diageo obviously have many breweries, distilleries, yeah, that kind of thing all over, all over the world, helping like producing. So aviation gin could definitely like jump on that and um, could gain those like, economies of scale from a much bigger factory. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, any any further thoughts on the deal? Um, just really how, how how they're funding it. So the deal is funded through. Um, they have three point four billions in cash reserves in, at Diageo. Yeah. This is easy enough to cover the deal. Yeah, no worries there. <laughs> exactly, and half the half of the fees going to be paid over the ten years anyway. Yeah. Two hundred forty-four million. It seems extremely well structured from Diageo's perspective in terms of the small upfront fee and then you know the rest of the deal based on performance. It's interesting that aviation have gone with that, but um, you know clearly it made sense from their perspective. And as a deal, especially the face of Ryan Reynolds, it transcended the M&A world. Yeah. So you search it up and there's countless articles saying Ryan Reynolds brand. So that's yeah. also great marketing for them as well. I thought. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, well, I mean, again, a very different story to my one. Um, and it's, I mean, no qualms about you going for Ryan Reynolds' uh, sexy gym brand at all. I mean, you stick to sexy stuff and I'll do the uh, Ancestry.com. But yeah, we'll close it on that deal um, and we'll go to our outro. Concludes uh, the August edition of the MA monthly podcast. It's been a pleasure, Mr. Beden. Oh, no worries. I was going to say your, your deal was sexy in its own way. <laughs> You're very kind. You're very kind. Hopefully, next month I'll go for the sexy one and um, you can go for something a bit more, you know, scientific. Something gritty. Yeah, something gritty. That'd be good. Um, we'll see what the MA world has in store for us uh, in September. Um, no doubt there's still a bit of a backlog off um, those couple of months where we were in lockdown. So hopefully a lot more exciting action. Um, you know, it should be a good one. So we'll catch you then. Um, I think the next one will probably be over Zoom because uh, we'll both be at different campuses by then. Um, but hopefully the quality will be just as good as today. And um, yeah, brilliant. All right, catch you then. Catch you then, mate.